is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast, powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett, and joined with me is my captain, Mr. Andy Full. What's going on, buddy? Oh, you know, just another day in snowy Buffalo, New York, getting ready for a nor'easter and a blizzard Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so it's going to be fun. Can't wait. I don't think it compares to the seven feet of snow that we got a few weeks back. Yeah, lake effect blizzards with 60 mile an hour winds with two to four inches of snow an hour. Um, it'll get it'll, it'll get you real quick. It doesn't accumulate the same way like when you get 20 to 25 mile an hour winds, but like we're going to have some winds on Friday, like 60, 70, 75 miles an hour in the afternoon with heavy lake effect snow. And I think it's supposed to drop down to like eight degrees Friday night. So it's going to be wild around here. Yeah. I think we're going to get harder, hit harder with cold than we are really with snow. And Buffalo is so weird for people that don't know, like Andy and I both live in Buffalo and we're probably seven minutes apart. And the snow that we will get is completely different. Oh yeah. The bill stadium got what? It was basically seven foot of snow and we're maybe what Andy 15 minutes from. Yeah. Yeah. I had good traffic day, 15 minutes. We maybe had what? Two? Two feet? Yeah. Compared to seven that they had? Dude, if you got two feet, I got four inches. So, like... And you're like... So, to give an idea, if I turn a left out of my driveway and I turn a, at, make a left at the light at the end of my street and I drive two miles and make a right, I am at Bailey's apartment. And that's how close we live. We're about two miles apart, and I am closer to the lake and river than he is. But the way the lake effect storm set up with the southwest wind, like a lot of times that northern part of that band will set up right where you live in Williamsville, in Tonawanda, where I'm at, will get nothing. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty wild. Like you go fish the river, and like the lake's just getting pounded, and you're it's like sun, sunshine and clear skies on the river. It's just kind of weird yeah so like to put it in proximity where we're at on the niagara if we're on a boat and that lake effect snow band sets up which is the peace bridge and our guest spencer since he drove through here he might know where that bridge is when that snow band sets up you'll be fishing and normally you can see the peace bridge it's only like a mile and a half away it will just be gone like just invisible to the world you'll just see a blanket of white (laughs) it's wild it is interesting it's funny. It's funny that. Uh, yes. Yes, they do have a snow club. <laughs> yeah, literally a snow club. Well, it's yeah. funny that, that they're going to Chicago, the Bills anyway, and they're not going to be. They might not even have a game because it's of exactly this, a snowstorm. So it's that time of year where everybody is kind of getting hit with some weather. I know the Midwest is getting pounded this weekend, too. Uh, we got hella bass yeah. in the chat. and It sounds like it's coming your way here first in the next yeah. day or two. Um, the- but. Either way, uh, fun show tonight, Andy, to, to get yeah. away from the snow, the snow talk, because this whole winter thing starting to depress me. And this Friday, I'm actually going to Florida to see my parents for a few days. Fingers crossed you can get out of town. Right. But Florida, man, like you think, oh, we're going to go get a couple of days in the warm. But no, we're going to get there and it's going to be 28 degrees in the morning and it's a high of 50 something. So at least it's warmer than here. But like 
man, we're just bringing the weather with us. And like the day after we leave, it's going to be like 80 something degrees. So it's like, go figure. But it's like that time of year where it's just depressing. I'm ready for early spring already. Like I just want to go fishing. Uh, I'm just, I'm fun. But either way, our distraction this time of year uh, is the show. And we have a really good one for tonight. We got Mr. Spencer Shuffield coming back to join us talking about some offshore fishing. We're going to dive real deep because Spencer had a hell of a season doing yeah, exactly Especially that. at the end, right? Like just absolutely Bang. decimated smallmouth. It was yeah. impressive to see and watch. Yeah. He's a new Major League Fishing's BPT. He's a rookie now in the BPT. Oh. Uh, yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about maybe kind of the switch in terms of, of format. Uh, I know Spencer's like a, a numbers <laughs> guy. I saw in, in his blast, uh, Bass Blaster write up. He's a numbers guy, but obviously when you see when you run through enough numbers in the right areas especially offshore you can run into those big ones so it doesn't really matter too much for a five fish format but we'll, we'll let him answer that so with uh with that oh real fast that omnia fishing dial reels yeah. giveaway is still going on links down below if you guys want to enter to win those some some free reels make sure you do so but uh without further ado let's bring him on here mr spencer shuffield what's going on man oh not much Nice. Is it uh, nice and chilly? We were talking a little bit offline, but nice and chilly down your way as well. seems like everything's yeah, getting... About to get real cold here. It's supposed to get negative one here at my house uh, Thursday night. And Ooh. we're actually going to Missouri to spend Christmas on Table Rock. And it's going to be like negative seven, negative eight up there at night. And only highs of like 10 or 11. So, but it's going to warm up quick. You know, the next day is supposed to get up like 28. And the next day, 35. And the next day, 40. So, Are you taking high. the boat? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to fish a tournament. That's the whole reason I'm going up there is fish tournament day after Christmas. Shoo, um, have fun. I love that place. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I mean, I, we were talking earlier and saw in Bass Blaster when you put it out a little while back after you won your, your title uh, that you're a numbers guy. I mean, when you talk about a numbers place, I mean, <laughs> that's the lake for numbers. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Table Rock is phenomenal for numbers. Um, I spent two days up there. Uh, on it back in November, uh, right before Thanksgiving. Gosh, it was phenomenal. I mean, we went out uh, the first day. We caught them pretty good. You know, only had like 18 best five. But we only caught about 25 or 30 fish. But the wind was blowing 30 to 35 mile an hour. That cold, major cold front come through. But the next day, the wind was light to variable. And uh, we smashed. I mean, we got out there about 30 minutes for a day. Like by noon, we had already caught 100 and something and had – Three limits over twenty pounds. It was it was incredible. Sign me up. That sounds like a riot. And the smallmouth fishing in in Table Rock is is what gets me. It's just it's so good. We had two over five that day, Damn. multiple three to three eighties, all smallmouth. So besides the Great Lakes or you know anything connected to the Great Lakes, lakes like a Saint Clair and places like it, Saint Lawrence River, <clears throat> Champlain, you can't really categorize that into normal fisheries uh just because anything up north you guys way northern wisconsin those are by far the best fisheries in the country i mean there's just nothing can compete with them uh, but table rock in my opinion is the best lake in, in the states that's not in any shape or form connected to the north just because i don't know anywhere else besides table rock beaver lake or bull shoals maybe norfolk but legitimately table rock beaver lake and bull shoals where any cast you make from daylight to dark you got a legit shot at catching a five pound largemouth five pound smallmouth five pound spotted bass or five pound mean now there's nowhere else you can do that and actually 
really do it. I mean, you could have 20 pound in all four species, you know, uh, mixed bags. So there's not any, any other places I know you can do that really other than in three places. So, but Table Rock is by far the best out of the three of them. That's too. pretty sick. That's something I didn't know about that, about that place in terms of. I mean, you know, you got these guys down like OHIV right now catching all these double digit fish and of course, Countersville is good and Lake Fork, but I mean, I just, I would rather go catch 102 pounders any day as I would five ten pounders. I mean, that's just I like getting the bite, I like setting the hook, and I like reeling them in. Now, in a tournament, obviously, I'm the same way, like five ten pounders, yeah. you know. Yeah. But I, I'm, I just, I like catching fish. I don't care nothing about catching a ten plus pound fish. It, I've, I mean, I've got seven di- double digit fish to my name. I mean, I caught a a fourteen two at table or not table rock, but I was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> 14-2 is my biggest on Lake Fork, and I've got three others over 10 out of there, uh, one over 10 at Chickamauga, none in the state of Arkansas. 9-15 is my biggest in Arkansas, and then two over 10 in Florida. So, I mean, I've caught big ones, but it's not like something that – I'm not one of them guys that goes out and wants to throw a big swim bait all day to catch double digits. I want to go throw a chatterbait or a swim jig or a drop shot and catch as many as I can because I like to run in. That's sick. Well, dude, so we're going to obviously dig deep into yeah. this exact topic later today, but um, how I'm just the curiosity's got the best of me. How do those, do those small mouth set up any different than the spotted bass there on Table Rock? Dude, it's weird. One day the small mouth will be a little deeper than the spots, but more times than not, they're a lot shallower. The small mouth are usually the shallowest ones in Table Rock for me. I can't, especially the bigger ones like your small mouth. When I was up there uh, a month ago in November, the smallmouth, the majority of them, especially the big ones, were in that five to fifteen foot range, and the largemouth in the spots were in sixty to eighty. So I mean, really, really crazy. Now there was still a lot of mixture up there in that five to twenty-five foot range, but the brunt of the fish, eighty-five, I would say eighty percent of the population was out in that forty to sixty foot range. Uh, a lot of them suspended falling around big bait balls and stuff like that. But uh, I only caught a few smallmouth out there like that. All the big smallmouth were up shallow. I scoped them, you know, up there in that five to 15 foot range. Damn. I got a question fun. here from Brian Slayton asking, uh, do spotted bass fight harder than smallmouth? Oh, it depends on where you're at. Up north, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about Table Rock? Yeah, I don't know. Probably, yeah, the spots probably fight yeah. a little harder, depending on size. But yeah, I would say, I would say the spots fight harder, probably. Okay. But we see there's Kentucky spotted bass in Table Rock. You know, you go over to like Smith Lake and Lanier, they're Alabama spots, and they fight even harder. They are very equivalent to a smallmouth up north. I mean, that's okay. you know, Kentuckys can't compete as far as the the power to a northern smallmouth. But the Alabama spots and like Coosa River spots, to me, they can compete with northern smallmouth on how they fight. Yeah, and so for for people watching your those those giant spotted bass you're seeing out on social media yeah. or videos, those are your Alabamas. Whereas like yes. your Kentuckys are like like a three pounder is a big one. A three three and a half pounder is a big one. I mean, but I've seen seven pounders caught in Table Rock, and that is the only place I've ever seen Kentuckys that big. Um, I think it was Dan Dan Moorhead. Broke the state record up there while we were in up there for a uh, a tournament, an actual tour event. When I was a co they weighed seven eight or seven nine Kentucky, and there was like two more over five weighed in that day. <laughs> now, I've caught multiple four to four and a half pounders up there. I mean, the bellies on that thing had to have been just like yeah, sagging. 
Alabama spots are so much longer. Like a 20-inch Alabama spot rarely weighs as much as a 16-inch Kentucky spot of bass, you know, in my opinion, because they're longer. They've got mm. the gut, but they're thinner from the gut to the tail. The Kentuckys, man, they carry it all the way to the tail. I mean, they're hmm. thick. But they don't fall as hard as an Alabama spot. I don't know if it's because maybe they're not as aerodynamic in the water because they're fatter. But, you know, look how huge and fat smallmouth are, and they they ain't got no problems. (laughs) Well, so with the amount of articles I've been seeing coming out, uh, I've been enjoying reading too as well with with you talking either about offshore fishing uh, in combination with live scope or your live scope articles, regardless of what it is. the way I fish, uh, I'm an avid reader, especially if you're the voice behind that piece or the video. Uh, and this is why exactly we got you on to talk about this exact topic. But before we start really diving in on the in- intricacies and approaching offshore fish, uh, where did you get your affinity to want to be offshore all the time? That's just where the numbers always are, it seems like. And that goes back to, I mean, I'm, I'm a numbers guy. I like catching a lot of fish. I mean... Uh, back when I first got a boat, I mean, I was so used to fishing with my dad. I mean, yeah, we won almost every tournament growing up as a kid, it seemed like, because he spent six days a week on the water. <clears throat> back then, local tournaments didn't watch you out of the rules. I mean, if you were a bass fisherman, it matter if you fish for a living or you work, you know, six days a week, you were welcome to fish. It wasn't like it is nowadays where people write you out. Uh, so we fished every tournament on the weekends, and we threw a three-quarter or one-ounce black and blue jig all the time. It didn't matter if it was July or January. Water was 45 degrees or 90 degrees. That's what we were throwing on the outside edge of Hydrilla and Elodia. And we usually six to eight bites a day was phenomenal. I mean, and, but they were all big ones. I mean, that's just what we caught. And uh, <clears throat> I hated it, man. I absolutely hated it growing up fishing like that. Uh, is all I knew, except for the fact on my summer break, I would get to practice for the Bassmaster Classic with my dad at certain places like Logan Martin, or we would go places further west of our home lake and we would throw stuff. He, he roomed with a guy named Taco, or we called him Taco. His name is Fred Bland. He actually, in my, from what I understand, he's basically the guy that invented the shaky head. And we would, so dad, you know, knew all about the shaky head by the time I was like five years old, which would have been in like 95. Mm-hmm. And we would go to these lakes out, in western arkansas that nothing but rock and catch like 200 a day throwing a shaky head and i was like obsessed with getting bots because as a kid that's what it's all about getting bots and had we not made a few of those trips when i was really young like three or four years old i would have probably lost interest in fishing pretty quickly at a young age like that because the way we fish on the gray yeah if we'd known what we knew nowadays you could have had 100 fish day easy down there but the way dad fished it was you just put on a big jig, 20-pound line, and you never put it down ever. You threw it from daylight to dark. You were going to get your five bites, and they were all going to be big ones. And they were. It's just we didn't get many bites. And so I didn't. I just didn't enjoy doing that. So when I got a boat and started fishing on my own, I started trying to cater to the numbers of fish, learn how to catch as many as I possibly could in a day. And uh, I've just grown to learn that the majority of your fish I'm going to say at least 70% of your fish, other than the spine, 70% of your fish are always out offshore somewhere. They might be close to the bank, but they're not on the bank. They're suspended out in the pockets or in the, the channels or or something of the of the sort, or 20 to 30 foot deep out off the bank. You know, they're not up on the bank. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So, I mean, that's that's the deal why I love fishing offshore is because that's usually where you catch the majority of the fish. And, and do you think that – I mean, at, so the term offshore for a lot of people – I shouldn't say a lot of people, but there are – I guess when you're in the beginning of the learning curve is well, offshore you think – the middle of the lake or like way yeah. away from the bank where that's not always the case where you could be a hundred feet push off the bank, but you're just not exactly fishing the bank. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, basically anything offshore is considered catching them deeper than 10 foot of water, more than a cast off the bank. That's catching them offshore to me uh, in, in a sense. I mean, if you're catching them on the banks, going down the bank, throwing a trap, crankbait, buzzbait, frog, or a, chatterbait you know let's catch them on the bank anything out off the bank in my opinion offshore you got catching them out and catching them offshore i mean you know humps and way out off flats and long running points out in creek channel ditches and stuff that's truly offshore but if you're catching them out there off the bank in 20 plus foot of water you're catching them out you know yeah that makes sense and would you say that majority of the time of the year i mean with the exception of like your your true spawn tournaments that fishing offshore is probably your most consistently successful way to like uh, to most consistent way to be successful in tournaments is what my question was in my opinion depending on where you're at you know i mean you go to certain areas of the country you know they're they they tend to always be winning and there's always winning fish shallow there's always winning fish deep i don't care if if there's one on a bed every 10 foot down a bank, there's still win, winning fish out offshore. I mean, they don't all come in to spawn at once. A lot of fish spawn offshore. I mean, I, I, that's where I usually try and find them spawning is out on top of points in that four to eight foot of water, you know, ones that you don't necessarily see. Uh, but, you know, Florida, I mean, take Florida for an example. I mean, that's as shallow as fishing as it gets, and usually the tournaments don't ever one offshore. You know, usually shell beds, hydrilla, I mean, it's lots of variations <laughs> offshore, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say 95% of your tournaments in a year are one offshore. Maybe not local tournaments. Uh, like around here fishing locally, back when I was doing it nonstop in a weekend and part of getting back to where I'm at now was fishing all my local tournaments every weekend, fishing one on a Saturday and a Sunday. Most of that was done on the bank, no matter what time of the year it was. There's a power fishing deal in the summer. You strictly cover water with a big buzz bait, big top water of some sort, or in the wintertime, throwing a trap or, or a crankbait, you know. And you knew all the little juice spots, little turn in the bank, little corner of a dock, little Christmas tree, you know. It, that was high percentage stuff. But traveling, doing it full time, fishing lakes that you're not very, very familiar with, I always try and find them offshore because there's usually a group of them. Right. And – so when someone's trying to fish offshore, typically what everyone's going to do is they're going to majority of the time, they're going to look at a map. They're going to look at Nevionics, Lake master, whatever that they have handy. Yeah. And for people that are trying to put an effort to tr- like learn how to fish offshore, when you look at that map, there's a lot of lines going a lot of different directions, not yeah. really sure where to start. What is your process? You know, say, let's take a, a table rock, for example, of like, where do you even just go to start to try to figure out what they're what they're doing or where they're going to be at? It's a great question. I mean, it's points or pockets. That, that's how I was telling everybody that all ago. It's it's points or pockets. It don't matter if it's on the bank or offshore. I mean, the fish are always going to be on a point or they're going to be on a pocket. 
And when I say that, the contour lines offshore makes points and pockets. It's, it's the same thing. Maybe you're holding on the corners of the pockets or they're holding out on the point. I mean, it rarely ever do you just catch fish down a straight contour line. Uh, if you do, it's when you're fishing a channel swing or you're, you know, where the deepest water swings up against something or it's they're all up on the bank spawning, you know, or, or something. You'll catch them just going down a straight bank. And even then, usually they're on something, a little turn, a little flat spot that you might not even notice or don't show on the map, but you notice it with your eyes. Uh, I mean, it's the same way if you're going down a bank punching matted uh, or what I call gator grass. If I mean, you think about it, usually when you're punching, the fish are always where the grass makes a turn or makes a point. You know, I mean, it's the same thing. It's just a little ambush point. So for me, when I go to a lake, I'm just immediately start running points. And live scope has helped break a lake down 100, in my opinion, 100 times faster because you can see where they're at, whether they're biting or not. That's the whole thing is once you begin to start seeing them, okay, every time I pull up on a point, I'm seeing a lot of fish. Or every time I get around a little cut or something, I'm seeing fish. Uh, that's this is where the majority of them are. Then I go to figuring out how can I catch them because rarely ever you start seeing them and immediately start catching them, especially nowadays. Everybody, the technology's gotten so good, they've gotten a lot more tight lipped, and it's a lot harder to figure out how to get them to bite. So, uh, finding them's not that hard of a thing nowadays, it's just figuring out how to catch them. That's where it gets, it gets tough, but. Even back before live scope, that was what I did. I just ran points, usually the ones that had the deepest water close to it, the ones where the deepest water swung near the tip or near the side. That's where they were going to be. Right. And so, look at, for me, like I love to fish offshore. I love to be away from the bank. Yeah. One of the, the pieces of advice I was given, more for two reasons. One, because I'm impatient as a human, but two, I'm also pedaling in a kayak, so it's going to take longer. But to be patient in terms of like when you're when you're graphing, because you're one, got to cover a lot of water. And two, it's like you're going to have to be putting in time to do this. You're not just going to go graph for 30 minutes. and You're going to find everything like you're going to be having the hours. But in your case, behind the wheel, you know, looking at your screens in order to do that sort of thing. Um, but there, there's definitely times when you say you find fish offshore and there's certain groups that you can't find the big ones. Like you can't figure out what they're doing. So say you're running into schools, but there's only little ones that you're, they're running into. What will be some of your next steps to try to adjust to find bigger fish from an offshore? Well, I mean, you got to know the history of the body of the water you're at. What does it usually take to make checks and what does it usually take to win? Like on a table rock, normally if you've got that 15 to 17 pound range, you're going to be really good. And depending on the time of the year, like this time of year, it's going to take that 18 to 22 to win. And it's even going to get more than that as we get closer to spring. So if I roll up on a body of water and I know I need to catch 15 pounds a day to uh, win, let's just, I'm just going to go straight to win and just say you got to have 15 a day to win. And I'm only catching 10, 11 pounds a day, or, you know, the average number, the average size fish I'm catching after I've gone through 10 to 20 fish an average size two pounds, and I'm not seeing any big ones at all mixed in, uh, that's when I start changing a depth. I mean, it's usually a depth thing. Either they're <clears throat> further off the point or they're shallower up on the point. Uh, that's usually the thing. I mean, if the two-pounders are all in 20, the big ones are either going to be in 30 or deeper or they're going to be 15 or shallower. It just That's where you got to pay attention to the season and the time of the year as well. 
And what what does the point have to offer? I mean, is there standing timber out off the drop on the point, or is there grass up shallow on the point? Because like on Rayburn, a ton of times you'll pull up on a point, and out there in 20 to 30 foot of water, you can wreck pound and a half to two and a half pounders, and every now and then catch a five, six, or seven pounder out there with the school. But all the big ones are up there in like five to 10 foot of water over the top of the grass. So it just depends on what is what does that lake have to offer? What time of the year are you there? Where should the big ones be? Um, it, it's always a depth thing, you know, always a depth thing. Gotcha. When you're, when you're graphing, have you, have you noticed, or do you have like a, a process of like, say a point for an example, do you graph shallow to deep or deep to shallow? Or do you kind of have a process of covering something like that? I usually start zigzagging on the tip, like say water clarity, in time of year, I feel like all the fish should be 30 foot or less. I'll start zigzagging out there on the very tip uh, in like 35 and work my way all the way up into like 15. And uh, then once I kind of establish a depth that it seems like most of them are, I kind of follow the contour lines around points like that. And then you start to figure out, are they more on the sides? Are they more out towards the tip? Are they where the actual bank meets the water on the point? Uh, and that's where I start concentrating all my time mainly, but I'm always, you know, have an open mind because just because you fish five points in a row and all the fish seem to be in the same exact spot, doesn't mean that you're not going to go five miles up or down the lake and they're in a totally different spot on the same type of point. So that's where, you know, scoping is such a big benefit to having is, you can always see, I mean, you never know when you're out there, you're constantly catching everything up there in that 10 to 20 foot range. And all of a sudden, Oh, there's one out there in 30, you know, just a random one swimming around. Cause I, I feel like in a, in a body of water, 70% of the fish all try and do pretty much the same thing. But then you got another 20% that's doing something totally different. And then you got 10% that are just completely got a mind of their own and do whatever the heck they want. They're and, rogues. Yeah, I mean, they're just – and that's usually your biggest ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's just a very – you know, an old fish. Got a a lot of time that they've, you know, lived in this world, seen a lot of things, and they pretty much are just nomads that do their own thing, have their own agenda, and <laughs> just eat big stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, we actually have a good question here from uh, Levi Schneider who's asking, as someone who's really getting into scoping offshore – how often does one bait typically dominate a day or is it a spot deal? So I think what he's asking is, is it a rotation of baits that it's just, you have to run a number of spots or do you ever find that there's just one bait that you can run in several different areas and that's going to be your bait. Like they're not going to hit anything else. Yeah. I mean, anybody that watches fishing much sees is seen out uh, with the scope, drop shot, jerk bait, swim bait, that's your main deal for scoping. If you're going to scope uh, in most bodies water and you go down to Florida or something like that, it could be totally different, but for the most part, drop shot, jerk bait, swim bait, that's the main thing. Uh, I I use it a lot with jigs and, and crankbaits and stuff like that, but that's usually when you're throwing at a piece of cover or a school of fish, you know, when you're picking off individual fish, it's always a jerk bait, a drop shot, or a swim bait 90% of the time. And 
you know, if you don't have any wind, it's always usually the drop shot. If you got wind, that's when you can catch them on a jerk bait and a swim bait. Uh, <clears throat> that's the deal. Uh, on the swim bait, it's figuring out a size and a color and a weight. You know, most of the time it's a quarter to a three-eighth ounce and a three to four and a half inch swim bait for me and any kind of a shad color, um, you know, on a jerk bait. It's, you know, depending on the column of the water the fish are in, are they down 15 to 25 foot deep coming up for a jerk bait or are they only 10 foot deep coming up for it? Because then it's either you throwing a deep diving jerk bait or just a normal diving jerk bait, you know, but it's always a shad color usually depending on water. It's really, really dirty or something. I might throw a white base, but if it's really clear water, usually it's going to be a real natural shad color or something like that. And you're a pretty finessey guy, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I mean, I'd rather catch 30 pounds on a spinner on a six pound line any day over casting rod and 65 pound braid. I love catching on cast rod. I mean, when I go fun fishing, that's, that's usually what I do. I go somewhere to flip, frog, throw a chatterbank, things like that. But when it comes down to putting money in the bank, it, it's it's strictly a spinning rod for me nearly all the time. I, I believe there was there was an article that just came out about yeah. that. You're talking about that exact thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just your land. To me, your land ratio with a spinning rod is way higher than a casting rod most of the time. Because, and the fish just, I mean, it goes back to just being a numbers guy for me. I mean, you catch numbers more on a spinning rod. And I, I just, I thoroughly enjoy catching them on a spinning rod. I mean, you know, some guys love to bow hunt. Some guys love to rifle hunt. It's kind of the same thing. You know, it's just I like catching fish on a spinning rod. It's more challenging, and you get a lot more bots usually most of the time. And uh, so that's that's why I'm I'm just I'm obsessed with catching on spinning tackle. I'm the same way. I have an enjoyment of using a spinning rod, and I get called crazy for it all the time. That's why I yeah. love catching big smallmouth because you're constantly catching three to six pound fish on a spinning rod, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can equate to that being on Lake Erie all the time, but there's, I do enjoy a good casting rod. You guys are probably the exact opposite. You probably love going to Florida and flipping and punching and just cracking them because you don't get to set the hook probably just a whole lot. I mean, you know, yeah. how did you just ease into them. You know? Yeah. I uh, personally like as a guide on Lake Erie, <laughs> I'm like, can I put these spinning poles away and go flip some grass at any moment I can? Because yeah. yeah, it's just, exactly. it's the same thing over and over again. I mm-hmm. like, I'll try catching them with a casting rod out in like 40 foot of water and be like, how can I catch them today? So like, start slow rolling as like a swim bait or something, oh, yeah. just to see if we can catch them some way different. Just that motion of a spinning rod. It's probably the most fun thing you can do. It's just, it gets boring in the same after. I don't know it, it can but I just you know that's that's my real my main confidence mm-hmm. thing and so I just love catching on a spinner rod like I said I I don't mind I, I'm going to try and catch them doing if spinner rod's not working or it's not much of a player which I've never really seen that but <laughs> if it's not you know if a chatterbait's the deal or flipping or frogging's the more of the deal how you're getting your quality bias and that's what I'm going to do I mean I, I don't feel like you know, I, I, I'm weak at catching them doing that other stuff. It's just nine times out of ten, a spinner rod is going to overpower casting rod if you oh. are, you know, know how to effectively catch fish using it. In my opinion, it's just that's the way to get it done. I, yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with chasing numbers because you're always going to stumble into a big fish or two. It's just getting them in the boat is a, a little bit of a challenge when you I have that light line. One on casting rods though. I yeah. mean, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, unless you're up north, it's always one 
power yeah. fishers on a casting rod. Yeah. But your most consistent guys, in my opinion, are the spinning rod guys. Those are the 100%. guys that are most consistent throughout a season are the guys that are strictly finesse fishermen usually. Yeah, I mean, another example, like, <laughs> that we just had him on the show, and I think in my eyes he's on the list of one of the most consistent guys, regardless of where you guys go, is Brent Ayler. And he's another spinning rod guy for the most yep. part. <clears throat> yep, him, Cody Meyer. I mean, look at Cody Meyer. I mean, yeah. it's boy, super finesse guy. You know, Dakota Ebert, I know him really well. He's, he's pretty much of a finesse type of guy too. I mean, all of them guys are dude, all of them guys are excellent catching them deep, cranking, punching, frogging. It does not matter. Take the graphs away, put them in a John boat. They're gonna catch them one way or another. It's just certain guys have their preference, and you know over time, just seeing it over and over and over again, that that's just the way to be the most consistent. Usually on the bodies of water that we go to is with spinning tackle most of the time. Right. And this is actually this question is perfect for this this conversation here from double digit angler asking when do you pick up the Carolina rig versus the drop shot? That's so funny. We just had a question. Uh, BPT sent out for TV shows next year on weaknesses and strengths. Dude, somebody could tell me tomorrow that you're they're catching twenty ten pounders a day throwing a Carolina rig, and I will not tie one on. <laughs> I will not throw a Carolina rig. I don't care how many you're catching on Carolina rig. You will never see one tied on. <laughs> In my oh, and if I do throw one on, it is only in Florida, and that's and I don't even know why I rig it up. I, <laughs> I have it when I go down there. I might make ten casts a week with it, and that's it. I don't throw mm-hmm. a Carolina rig. If uh, I throw a wobblehead, I'd much rather throw a wobblehead. I've been with guys when the Carolina rig bite is big time on all over the country, and I can catch this fish just as good on a wobblehead nine times out of ten. <laughs> throw a wobblehead just as good. I don't like having to tie all the, you know, top side of the swivel, bottom side of the swivel. And I know they've made other stuff since, you know, where you don't have to do all that. But I just – I don't throw a Carolina rig. I absolutely despise a Carolina rig. It's it's a drop shot all the time. I mean, if you're scoping, that's that's the deal. It's a drop shot. Yeah, it'd be probably kind of hard to scope with a Carolina rig too because you're casting so far with it. Yeah, I mean, and there's just other – I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a Carolina rig guy. I'm sure there's days that I, I probably should have been throwing a Carolina rig, no doubt. But, I, I mean, I'm going to figure out something else. If it gets that bad where I can't catch them on a drop shot and have to convert to a Carolina rig, I'm just going to pick up a jackhammer and go shallow. It's <laughs> a fair point. That sounds like fun to me. Yeah. <laughs> the, the greatest representation I, I have seen and it happened this past year on the elite event at Oahe of the best way to fish Carolina, a Carolina rig, but also what's going through, yeah. What's going through <laughs> someone's brain while fishing a Carolina rig was Tyler Rivette at Lake Oahe sitting on the bottom of his boat, spot locked and just holding it. like into the current. <laughs> Just yeah. like doing nothing. Then he goes, Oh, I got a fish. Like yeah. that is fishing a Carolina. It's the most boring thing in the world. So I'm yeah. right there with you. And kids, but oh gosh, I hate that thing. And growing <laughs> up as a kid, that's what that's the only thing we do. <laughs> and I don't know how many tournaments we want throwing a Carolina rig with a big brush hog on the back of it. So many tournaments, but with a one ounce Carolina rig weight. And I mean, we were catching shallow, ten foot or less. But I just I can't stand that that thing. I've been whacked in the back of the head with it too many times too. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. That's like a knockout punch. Oh my gosh. Uh, I had a neighbor, my neighbor fished with me here about three years ago and hit me in the back of the head with that thing three times one day. I mean, just 
uh, I look like somebody shot me in the back of the head with buckshot. Oh At that point, gosh. I'd be pushing him out of the boat. Be like, dude, get yeah. in the back or get out. Like, yeah, it, it was it was bad. <laughs> oh, I have a headache just thinking about it. Oh, yeah, no thanks. Um, we actually we had brought this up a little bit in the introduction with the BP uh, BPT switch yep. from from numbers to affairs format, and our buddy Mr. Ty Berger from Bass Fishing HQ is in the comments asking with switching over to five fish. He stole his question from us. Uh, do you anticipate picking up the casting rod more often or keeping the spinning rod in your hand? Uh, I mean, I'm on fish. It's like, hey, I mean, all I've ever known is five fish. Uh, I've never got to fish that format, but twice. or Well, three times. One time, the title in 2020, we got to fish that, that format. But I fished the two BPTs in 2021. And other than that, it's always been a five fish format for me. I'm not going to fish any differently. I'm still going to try and catch some spinning tackle. I'll be, you know, out there going through hopefully 40 to 100 fish a day and have five big ones, you know, at the at the end of the day. Uh, there will be probably times. The, the main thing about me, why I hate the fact that we went to five fish, is for one, I've looked so forward to getting to fish all you can catch that counts next year. I mean, that was my main deal about getting over to BPT was that, that part of it. Right. Not only that is – I enjoy catching fish and now there's going to be so much of laying off going on. Like last year at Gunnersville uh, or this year at Gunnersville in the, the Taco Warehouse Pro Circuit, I had 25 the first day in like 10 minutes and 20 the next two days in under 10 minutes pounds. And I didn't get to fish anymore. It was literally just idle around, wait for check-in. And I hate that. I don't like having to lay off. I want to be able to catch as many as I can and, you know, you get to 40 pounds, you're going to keep on going, you know, just keep on catching them. So it's, that's kind of a, a, a thing, that, you know, and that doesn't happen often. Usually you're out there grinding from start to finish, trying to get as much as you can, but there will be some times this year. Well, where we'll be out there and you'll get your target weight really fast and you'll be like, well, I'm not, I'm just either going to go, you know, jack around the rest of the day and maybe fluke over something else even better or, we're just going to, you know, idle around and eat snacks and wait for the day to be over, you know, one of yeah. those, those, uh, honestly, the two BPTs that you fished, you were in the top 10 for both of them. No, I finished one? 11th in both of them. Oh, you finished 11th? Yeah. Just outside. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Burn, burn me. I want to make the top 10 in one of them suckers. I, I remember watching you live. Uh, I'm trying to remember which one was you were. Rayburn and Harris Chain. It was Rayburn that I must have been watching. Yep. Yeah. I led that that first day, and Connell was in second. That was at Rayburn, and that 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 was one of them deals. Like usually, their thing, you know, some places they go is one eight, but most of the places they go is two pounds. And dude, I was literally putting like sixty a day on the scales that were weighing between one twelve and one fifteen. <laughs> Oh my gosh, if this was 1.8, I'd be putting like 200 pounds a day on the board. But <laughs> it was so hard to catch one over two pounds in that tournament. But even – No, wait, 31 pounds is what I had, or 30 pounds is what it was, right at 30 pounds. Seven bass, but my best five weighed 23. Hmm. Or, no, they weighed 24. Caught every one of them fish on drop shot, every one of them. Even though, I mean, I still – I caught 80 bass that day and only caught uh, – seven fish over two pounds and still had 24, my best five. 
So that's why I say, I mean, you still catch big and doing the spinning rod deal. You're just going to catch a lot more small fish in the mix too. But in practice, I'd had a few big ones to buy a drop shot scoping. So I knew I was going to do that a lot in the tournament. I think that's how Neil won the pro circuit on Rayburn, correct? Was throwing a drop shot? No, he caught him on jerk bait. Was he throwing jerk bait? Okay. Yeah, he was scoping him. Yeah, he was, he was – uh-oh. Oh, gosh. And we lost him. Peace. Either connection or laptop died, one or the two. But uh, he said, "I'm out of here, boys." Yeah, he's like, "Peace." He's like, "You're talking too much about some some juice." He was actually, I was about to ask a really oh. good question too. Now he's uh, back. Oh, here we go. Well, what happened? You just kicked me off. Oh, oh, you're good. We figured you didn't want to talk to us, which is all good with that. <laughs> but yeah, he was. He was. Uh, Neil was. He was fishing ditches, right? Miles of yeah, ditches. I think he was up around. Uh, the bridge or up there Castle Boykins or whatever it's called hmm. up that area. I don't ever go up there because I don't know it. They say you can lose everything you got up there. So well, that's a great segue to the question I wanted to ask you uh, in terms of offshore, because as anglers, we all know this and have experienced it uh, that when you have fish one day and they're gone the next and you really, there's not a, a glaring variable as to why, you know, when you, when you find them offshore, uh, and you show up the next day, maybe it's tournament day or maybe it's practice and you're checking on them type of deal and they're gone. What's your, what's your move to try to relocate those fish? Man, that very rarely happens, but if it does, I mean, it's, it's a bad feeling, especially if you don't have anything back up to go to. I mean, usually if I, if I've got fish found out deep, I've got multiple, multiple places found. And so you'll rotate through different spots until you find one that they're there on it. A lot of times it's just a time of day. A lot of times I'm offshore fish. You might not start seeing them out there until after 10 o'clock. And so if you pull up on a place at 8 o'clock and they're not there, you know it's probably just a timing deal. You pull back at 10, 30, and they're there again. Uh, You see that a lot. So usually I just write it off that it must just be the wrong time, and I just keep rotating through new spots. And uh, or if I know that it is a timing deal, then I'll do something totally different until the time gets right. And then I'll start going to my offshore fish so I don't lose confidence by going early and seeing they're not there. And then you'll just screw up your whole day thinking that something's changed and it really hasn't. It's just wrong time, you know. Right. So, I mean, with that being said, like say it's 8 a.m. on a practice day and you find some fish offshore. Will you purposely go back like later in the day to see if they're still there? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll check on maybe three two at least two more times throughout the day if i'm anywhere within the area i'll go back sometime usually around noon see if they're there uh swing back through there again around five see if they're there never make a cast you know i'll idle or or scope drop the scope in the water see if there's some out there and just go on i'll never show them a bait or anything but yeah i mean i'll check to see you know because there's been a lot of times You'll see them on a spot at nine o'clock, ten o'clock in the morning, and you go back over at four or five in the afternoon. They're not there. And you know, okay, these fish are only out here in the middle of the day when the sun's at its highest point, or getting there at their highest at, the, at its highest point. That's when they're on these deep offshore places. So that way, you know, early in the morning and late in the evening, you need to be trying to figure out another way to catch them because you're not going to be able to catch them doing that. You've pretty much, you know, because you've already discovered that during practice that they're only there from the hours of ten to three. That's probably going to be about the way it's going to be on all offshore spots on the lake most of the time That for that week. Makes sense. 
I do have a question for you when in regarding the the scoping them, right? Like, do you feel like these offshore fish are getting conditioned to it? Or is it more just all in our head because fish at certain times of the day are tougher to catch than other times? I mean, it is definitely a top of day or turn it uh, time of day and, and top of day makes a lot of difference, no doubt. But they're definitely getting conditioned to see more baits. I don't think they have a clue that they're being scoped, uh, but they're they're getting conditioned to seeing more baits fall right dead on top of them, you know. So yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely guys are having to change presentations and change the way that they're attacking these fish out offshore especially the ones that are roaming. I mean, I've seen in the last year a lot of these fish, uh, you throw at them, they just take off. I noticed that up at St. Lawrence when I went back for the Toyota Series in September. I mean, some of them smallmouth up there in the title, they just run straight to your stuff and have it eat by the time it hit, before it could even make it to the bottom. When I went back up there in September, a lot of them would splash 20 foot above their head, and they're gone. I mean, they were gone. But, I mean, I think they have like four tournaments a weekend up there, you know, that time of year because that's when you guys can fish. So they were having a lot of tournaments up there. So they were they were getting conditioned to drop shots and Ned Riggs landing right on top of their head, and it was spooking them. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny with, like, the St. Lawrence seal because it's the only place in New York that you can't fish during, like, the off-season catch-and-keep, yeah. like, season. And I get it. They want to – protect those fish but like across the state anywhere else on a smallmouth fishery we could just destroy them but you can't up yeah. there it, it drives me nuts yeah so we've heard of this recent trend uh, and i've seen a few people do it like i think logan parks posted a video of a mount with scope off the the side of his console while he's graphing for people that are now graphing and using forefacing sonar in some capacity are you utilizing anything like that with your graphing, or are you getting up on the on the front deck to do it? No, I'm I'm doing the same thing. Nice. Okay. I'm using it idling around a lot. More for are you doing anything offshore stuff or like when you're graphing docks? Like no, it's all offshore stuff, especially on the smallmouth fisheries. It's just idling around, scoping the water, and using it and side scan together. Just keeps you from ever having to, you know, it saves a lot of time. You don't have to you don't have to get up. You know, you see a boulder on side scan. I don't have to jump up patrol motor in the water and make a cast to it to see if there or look to see if there's fish sitting on it. Because a lot of times on side scan, you know, you're just not going to see a bass sitting on the bottom next to a boulder. You just see the boulder. That's it. It puts scope in the water out directly over the boulder with and look on down scan or 2D to see if there's fish there. <clears throat> so a lot, a lot of what I'm doing now is finding the boulder on side scan, spinning around with patrol motor in the water. You can see if she's sitting out there, two or three of them sitting out there on scope, market gone. It's super intriguing to watch this evolution per se of mm-hmm. how people are being more efficient time wise or just from a technology standpoint of graphing. Yeah. 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 Well, 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 when you idle directly over them, they take off too. So you might idle directly over a boulder and think, oh, there's nothing there, but they were there. They just, they're gone before you can see them. Yeah. One of my favorite things with smallmouth <laughs> and like deep shot offshore fishing is you'll see that boulder and you might go over it, like you said, and they're gone. Then you make that cast in there and all of a sudden five appear out of nowhere. And you're exactly. just like, it's what the heck? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, I knew they were there. It looked too yeah. good to be true, but yeah. everything else tells me no. So it actually helps your efficiency so much because in the past, when you went over it with 2D or side scan, you would just leave it and go to the next area. 
mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, I don't see them, so they must they must not be there. When in reality, they probably just tucked so deep inside that boulder, you just didn't know it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of different ways to utilize the the forward facing sonar. I mean, I know of guys that's got two or three of them on their boat. You know, use them from different vantage points. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's. I mean, it's that that's the new that's the new thing. And in 15 years, we're going to look back and think four-facing sonar was a joke, just like we do good flashers. I mean, I was I grew up learning flashers, and I'm thinking now, like, how did we catch bass back then? You know, but we did. You know, it's going to be the same way in 15 years. Something more better, way better is going to come out, and and we're going to look at live scope and think, man, that was junk back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, soon we're gonna have like fish seeing glasses that we can tell what's swimming and how big they are just yeah. by like an infrared reading probably. Yeah, that's why I tell people, a lot of people, man, they're going to ban that stuff eventually. I'm like, no, they're not. It's just not going anywhere. You better jump on the bus, learn it, or you're going to get way left behind. Then you're going to be so far behind, you're never going to catch up. <laughs> Money talks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this past year, was it Chris, uh, Tristan McCormick? I've, I don't think I've ever seen four graphs up front, but I, I think that was for the, uh, I can't remember which event. Maybe was it Hartwell? I can't remember which. Oh, I think it was the Hartwell open yeah. that I think, uh, I think it was the one he won um, that he had uh, four graphs on, on the front of his boat and three at the dash. Like I've never seen four up front, but I mean, I don't know when there's like, when that's going to, I don't think it'll ever stop, but it's going to be interesting. They should limit the amount of graphs maybe, but this is the deal. Guys say they want to see a pro pro tournaments where we're not able to use that stuff. Well, there's no disadvantage out there on a the pro level because everybody's got it. Right. You're truly seeing it. The most fair playing field with four-facing sonar, sonar is at our level. Now, weekend levels, BFLs, Toyota Series, it might not be 100% at a fair level playing field, but when you get to the top of the game, Bass Pro Tour or – Bassmaster Elites, there's no guy out there that's got it, does not have it. And I mean, and don't say John Cox doesn't have it because he's got it. I promise you. He's got it. I mean, he's asked me questions about it. He's got live scope. You might not talk about it. He's got it. I mean, everybody's got it. So it's 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 a perfect level playing field out there. I mean, that's the most level playing field there is, is on at at, at that level. Uh, but I could see where weekend guys complain about it because you know, some guys can afford to buy. Some can't, but I'm not utilizing it like I should as far as the amount of graphs. Four graphs is plenty for me. I could see having three in the back just because, I mean, really, I don't know why I would need three at the back. I could see using three at the front if I had some kind of, you know, 360 imaging or something like that. But, you know, we got the perspective mode, but I don't use it a lot. You know, I use it when I'm in Florida offshore some, seeing the turns in the grass and shell beds and things like that. But, I can see stuff with live scope so well. I just don't see the point really. I mean, the only difference between live scope and 360 is you're getting more of an aerial view with 360 of what actually looks like laying down there versus seeing it from a distance off looking straight at it. So four is plenty for me right now. I'm sure one day I'll have six on my boat, you know, because that's what it's going to. And there'll be some another new technology that comes out. You're like, God, I have to have that, you know, some sort of mapping something or something. So, but until that happens, I'm probably just going to stick with the two in the back and two up front. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, have you seen this recent trend or conversation that's been going around of uh, 
co-anglers bring in their own live scope on the boat? Yes, like I, have. I have heard about that. What's yeah. your take on that? Man, I mean, if, if they're going to allow it, I ain't got no problem with it. I usually turn the scope on in the back for my guys. I mean, now, obviously, they're only seeing what I'm seeing, what I'm throwing at, but just so they can kind of see what's <laughs> happening and how it's working and what, you know. Yeah, be like, I'm <laughs> smacking them, watch this. Yeah, yeah watch me catch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot, a lot, you know, a lot of guys want to see it. They want to see it go down, you know. Yeah. They just love watching it, uh, especially guys that are newer to it. And I show them things. I'm like, hey, this is what I'm looking at. That's my bait you see. This fish is going to bite. This one's not. This one might. Uh, when to give up on one, when not to. Or just so they can see a group of fish running into the boat with mine that I've, you know, got currently have on that I'm fighting, they can know to drop it, you know, right where to drop it at, at the front of the boat to get their bait in front of a fish. And that's usually a smallmouth deal, you know. That's anywhere else. We don't have co-angers most of the time. Right. Well, I mean – I think for the the folks that are co-anglers for the right reasons, the folks that are there to learn, like you mentioned Adam Deacon, who is one of your co-anglers up at Lake Champlain. That was one thing that he talked to us about afterwards was you walking through that stuff with him, like him being able to be in the back of the boat, see that going down. That's such a, I mean, that's another level of competing, but also like you're teaching at the same time. It's pretty dang cool, dude. Yeah. I mean, you know, some guys you can tell, they just truly want to learn. They're really good guys. And you're like, man, I'll show this guy as much as I can. I've got him for seven hours, eight hours a day. I'll show him kind of what, you know, what I know or what I'm looking at today anyways. And maybe he can take it and put it to knowledge on his body of water. But uh, a lot of it, man, the guys with scope, the only, the ones that hate are the ones that don't know nothing about it. Once you learn it, you start using it, you realize, hey, this isn't a cure-all. You know, it's not like we're out here with an electric shock generating generator just shocking them up and scooping them up with dip nets. It's, it's nothing <laughs> like that. You know? Right. For sure. Uh, I got one more forward-facing seminar question, and we're <laughs> going to start uh, wrapping this show up. Uh, it's from our buddy Ty Berger again. He's asking, how often are you scoping suspended fish versus fish that are on the bottom? Whew. And that's about a half and half. Uh, seems like up north, it's mainly on the bottom of the big smallmouth a lot of times. Uh, down south, down here where I'm at, and in Texas, it's usually a pretty good mixture. You know, a, a lot of them will be suspended way up off the bottom, and a lot of them are really tight to the bottom. Uh, the suspended fish versus the ones on bottom strictly usually relates as, or the fish on cover or not uh, a lot of times when your fish are out over ditches like creek channel ditches and stuff leading back into these spawning flats and things early early spring early winter like right now late fall you know these fish a lot of them will use these ditches out over these deep deep creek channel ditches and stuff to go back into a spawning flat to spawn or they're going back in there with shed or whatnot those fish are usually always suspended uh, that's usually where I find my suspended fish. But you'll find brush or rock or something like that in some of them places in that 10 to 35-foot range, and that's where your fish will be on bottom. So if you're, look, if you're around brush piles or you're around heavy rock, you're usually going to be using the scope on bottom. You're going to be seeing most of your fish relating to that cover that's on the bottom. And if you're just out looking around bait balls, and stuff like that, the fish are usually going to be suspended 
I find most of them, it seems like they're more apt to be suspended late fall, middle of the summer, and, uh, well, really late fall, fall, late fall, and then early, <laughs> early spring. That's when it seems like the fish are the most suspended to me. And the two reasons why is because in late fall, they're usually feeding on bait, which is up towards the surface. And late in the spring, I mean, early in the spring, the, the big females will still be out of really deep water, but they're closer to the surface because they're trying to get as much sunlight and as much warmth as they can to, you know, really start loosening the, the eggs up, get them warm, and to go back and lay them, you know. But it seems like early spring, they're usually suspended over a top of a piece of cover. as be a brush pile, standing timber, things like that. It seems like they early spring, they're more suspended, but they're stationary over a piece of cover versus on bottom, like they would be in the middle of the winter usually. Or so, I mean, it just depends on what you're fishing, cover or shad, you know, for, for right. me. I got you. Andy, you got anything left for Spencer? Uh, I mean, this has been great. So thank you for spilling a ton of juice. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, dude, I know you mentioned you got – tournament coming up after christmas but and you obviously got bpt coming up this year are you fishing the the qualifiers at all i am fishing my first actual tournament will be the toyota series on lake sam raver the end of january because i absolutely love that place can't wait to go down there i've got to qualify for the toyota series championship on table rock in november Uh, i've got to fish four toyota series I don't know where I'm going to get them in at. All the BBTs are scheduled on top of all the Toyota series I want to really fish. So Rayburn's really the only one I'm getting to fish. Um, and then I've got to find three more to fish throughout the year somehow. But I'm fishing Clark's Hill, Lake of the Ozarks, and Potomac River. Those are the three invitationals I'm fishing this year. Uh, can't wait for Potomac River. It's by far one of my favorite places to go. Literally, I never throw anything really? else in the chatterbait. I've, I've always done so well up there. Finished seventh up there in Toyota Series this year and 11th in the tour van up there last year. And I literally do nothing but throw a chatterbait all day long, 20 pound fluorocarbon, start to finish. It's just, it's, I love going up there and catching them on a, on a chatterbait. So I, I always have to fish Potomac if, we, if we're going up there, you know? So is that just like because you get a, a break from being yes. outdoor type of deal or is it like a, I love Potomac River. Me and Potomac River job. I mean, I understand the tide really well. Last year, James, that was a, you know, that kept me from winning angle of the year. And I'd never been there before. I understood the tide. But it was one of them places where it was almost like I went back to when I was fishing pro at first back in 2012, 13, and 14, or 13, 14, and 15. Like, uh, I would get in places and be like, I don't even know if there's a bass lives around here. And you'd see crabs come floating along, and you're like, oh, my gosh, you're saltwater. Probably not even any largemouth. You know, it was just a weird deal. I mean, I caught tons and tons of fish. I never caught any quality. Uh, Just had that 12 pounds a day, which was no good there. They absolutely smashed them. The Potomac River, I've been there so many times. I really, really know that place well. And, I, I mean, I just know some really good juicy places there that, no matter what the tie's doing, you can wait. And when they turn on on Potomac River, it is just dynamite, man. With a chatterbait, I love it. It's the only bait you need there is a chatterbait. And uh, so I just, you know, 
I love going there. But I'm looking forward to BPT, man. The only one on the schedule that there's even a question mark in my head, that's the very first one in Florida. Just because I've been to Toe and Kissimmee twice. I fished it once as a co-anger and finished fifth. That was the year Brett, uh, Brett Hot won. I was actually his co-anger on the third day. And uh, I fished it once as a pro and finished like 80th. And uh, there was like 200 of us there, you know. So, I mean, it wasn't a little better than middle of the pack, but I had like 13 pounds a day. Wasn't great. Uh, had a shot at a lot of big ones, just couldn't hook up with them. But I'm looking forward to going down there. I mean, I love going to Florida, but Florida hates me. So, we'll see. Hopefully, we can change that around down there this year. I like Harris Chain. I always do good there. You know? Yeah, I feel like the Harris sets up more for you in terms of, like, the yeah, I mean, shell bars and stuff like yeah, that. You can scope them really good there, too. You know, offshore big time everywhere. But I think Toe and Kissimmee can be like that, you know, mm-hmm. as well. So, I don't know. I don't know what to expect when I go down there. I don't know if I'm going to be punching, you know, swim jigging, chatterbaiting, or if I'm going to be able to get out there and throw a drop shot around shell beds and a chatterbait and really, really catch them good. Maybe even a Carolina rig. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not. You never know. <laughs> That's one Makes Carolina. one cast, yeah. all the dust flies off, and he sets it back down to collect dust for next year. Probably. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I mean, I, that's like I feel like that's the one thing so many guys say about Florida, unless they're from Florida, is I like Florida. Florida doesn't like me. Where <laughs> it looks so good, but <laughs> dude, I love going down there and fishing. I catch them so good every time I go down there and practice. It seems like, and in tournament time, they're all like pound and halfers. You know, I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that. Or I, I just catch a ton of fish and they're all little. I mean, that's just the way it is for me usually. It's like Harris Chain. You get good bites. I mean, you'll catch 10 pound and halfers and all of a sudden you catch a four. Catch 10 more pound and halfers and you catch another four. And then all of a sudden you'll catch a couple threes. And it's just, I don't know. I just like it. I, I like Harris Chain. I love Toho and Kissimmee. I love Okeechobee. But those two bodies of water, I haven't had any good finishes yet other than out of the back of the boat. You know, I've had good finishes at both of them places out of the back, but not out of the front yet. So. Hopefully this year we can we can catch them at Kissimmee because I'd like to make a run at AOI this year out there first year, you know, so you can't falter any. I mean, I would say if you finish 35th or worse, you're already out of it in any tournament. And you right. can probably really only have one of those. The rest of them are going to have to be top 15 place finishes in all of them. But I'm looking forward to the rest of them. I've never been to Cherokee. Uh, I fished Douglas once when I was a kid practicing for a BASS event with my dad, but never fished Cherokee. Love Murray. Love. I've never been to Cayuga, but I know I'm not even worried about that one. It's up north. They're going to be on beds everywhere. Can't wait to get there. Um, St. Clair is like my baby. And uh, I've fished, I've spent some time on Saginaw Bay back before I knew what I was doing for smallmouth and still caught a lot of big ones. So I'm looking forward to going up there too. Heck yeah, dude. And Gunnersville, I mean, I led it for three days last year in the pro circuit. You know, the first three days, I'll let it. So, uh, I'm looking really forward to getting back there again. Heck, yeah. Have, have you thought process-wise of how you're going to adjust to basically a day-and-a-half practice? Uh, we still get two days, I think. Or maybe it is a day-and-a-half. I don't know. We, we've only had two days a tournament on the pro circuit for the last two years. They only gave us two days. Oh, I don't know why I thought it was three. Okay. Uh, well, they're going back to three this year. But it, last year and the year before, 2021 and 2022, is just two days. Oh, okay. Uh, that won't be a big adjustment then. No, no. So, uh, you know, 
it's, it'll be one of them things have to cover a lot of water. When you go to a place like Florida where we got a chain of lakes, that's where it makes it rough. Right. Where do I want to dedicate two days to one body of water, or do I want to try to look at all of them in two days? And from what I've learned in my career, if I, especially back when I was younger, I wanted to try and see everything. You never did any good because what you ended up doing is you find a little here, little there, little over yonder, and then come tournament time, you run around like a chicken with your head cut off. You spend half the day running from point A to point B to point C, and you don't ever catch them hardly at all. And so you're better off just to pick one body of water, spend your whole practice there, and forget about everything else. So for me, it's going to be figuring out, do I want to fish Kissimmee or do I want to fish Toho? Makes sense. And I, That's I, a really good tip. No idea. You know, because I don't know either one of them at all. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point, too, about what kind of running rampant, like yeah. having spreading yourself out because that's a real thing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. especially coming from the kayak side, it's pretty dang easy to spread yourself out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, so do you, I mean, beyond tournament fishing and stuff, anything uh, big coming up for you for 2023 that people can look out for? No, just fast road tour, man. Can't wait to get out there and get it started. Um, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it. Made a few sponsor uh, changes this year. Not really, just one major one mainly. And uh, I'm going to let that out of the bag here after the first of the year. And uh, other than that, man, I'm just looking forward to getting the year started and getting to Florida. Heck so. yeah, dude. Well, uh, for folks that are tuning in or listening at a, a later date, uh, go follow Spencer on social. His links are, are down below in the show notes. And, and dude, we're going to be keeping up with you and hopefully getting you back on this show after big dub or something like that. But it's, yeah. it's always good getting you on here, man. I yeah. appreciate it. Dude, I Thank appreciate you. it. Yes, sir. Last time I talked to y'all, I won the very next tournament. Oh, so hopefully that happens this year too. Hey, th- this has been a weird thing with this yeah, show. It, it, it's, it's happened people- quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> We might yeah, have some mojo. Campaigning and turn right around and won the title right after that. So hopefully it's not we'll every win. time, but every once in a blue moon we hit one of those. So I mean, we're gonna start charging commission for people on this show now. I mean, afterwards, you win one. <laughs> there you go. I enjoyed it, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, we'll be we'll be talking to you soon. And uh, take care. Have good holidays and go in that tournament after Christmas. Yes, Have sir. fun. See you guys. Have a good night. Take care. I totally forgot about that, dude. We definitely had like a streak. I'm trying to remember who exactly it was that we had on the show. It was like three people this past year that had yeah. major tournaments that right after they came on the show, they won an event. I feel like Jake Whitaker almost won one too, like the first time he came on. Like he finished like fifth or something. The first time he came on was, I believe, the event on Lake Chickamauga in the fall. Yeah. yeah. Lewis, he won. That yeah. Was- dude. Yeah, just that wild. was. I'm trying to remember who it was this year, though. I'm trying to remember. That was like their first time winning one. So I can't remember. Well, Spencer was one of them. Um, yeah, I don't. I'll have to go back and think about we, it. We've remember. done so many shows to this point that kind of all just gel together. For yeah, I mean, we're part. on episode 337 at this point. Oh gosh, we're gonna yeah, be at 400 before we know it. Jeez. Yeah, it's a lot. But uh, we have some cool shows coming up. I mean, today's show is awesome. Uh, I geek out on this stuff because I'm a big fan of Spencer because Spencer Fish is exactly how I like to fish. Obviously, I am nowhere near the level he's at in terms of efficiency, finding these fish offshore. But the way he fishes is the way I love to fish. Uh, so I kind of nerd out on these ones, take a lot of notes. 
Um, not that, you know, I don't like to get up and punch like he was talking about earlier, but just something about getting offshore, getting super strategic, using electronics, getting that spinning rod in your hand. Uh, there's something about getting that intricate with it that I love versus just pound one in the face of the big yeah. way. It's still fun as heck, but I don't know. It's just uh, everybody's obviously got their their cup of tea, their forte, uh, and that, that's one that's a lot of fun. But uh, hope you guys took a lot of notes from there and, and learned from, from Spencer. Uh, dude's a dang wizard, and I expect a pretty big showing from him on the BPT this year. I mean, he said it himself, the two events he fished on the BPT already. When they did that, bring every one person up or so from – the pro circuit, uh, he finished 11th at both of them. So the Duke can obviously hold his own. Oh, yeah. And obviously did uh, on the pro circuit. So I don't think he'll have any issue with the five fish format switch this year. Um, but moving forward uh, for shows on Friday, we have Hayden Anderson, who's a guide over in Wisconsin. We're going to do some sneaky smallmouth patterns. And what I decided to do, because I have people, we wanted to do this in one show where we had someone from the Midwest, the Northeast, the West, and the South. And while I think that'd make a great show, I'm going to turn that thing into a series. Like what we're going to do is we're going to have a Midwest show with Hayden. And then a few weeks later, we're going to do like a Northeast show. We'll get, obviously we have Andy here, but we'll grab somebody else from the Northeast. Talk about some sneaky deals for smallmouth. And then we're going to have our buddy, Mr. Caleb Bell, uh, on to talk some sneaky smallmouth stuff on the TVA in the South. And then uh, we actually have Mr. Rob Vanderkoy, who I'm going to reach out to talk with Josh Bertrand about it today. Get some Southeast, some like some Mojave smallmouth. Good one, yeah, yeah. So we're going to do some Southeast smallmouth, and then we're going to try to do that as like a series, like these sneaky baits, sneaky techniques. Try to let some cats out of the bag for not just smallmouth, but spotted bass and largemouth. So we're going to make a little series moving forward for the next year. So hopefully that's something you guys will enjoy. Obviously, there'll be a lot of nuggets to come from that. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Andy, anything to report for the folks before we head into the holiday? Um, Saturday's episode will be a good one. I'm not going to say what we're talking about, but Mikey Balls came out in the Lure Lab and dropped some juice for the Southeast. So that'll be an exciting episode that everyone's going to want to check out. And it's a technique that in Lure that works just about anywhere in the country for all species of bass. So that'll be fun, and then we have some more fun ones planned that I'm getting ready to record here in the next week or two. So should be a lot of good stuff coming on the Lure Lab side. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the technique you guys talked about, you said southeast, but, like, yeah, I think that's it works the best, everywhere. best damn lure in the entire country. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, guys, tune into that. If you haven't checked out the Lure Lab podcast, that's on the Serious Angler Network. All of our links to our shows are in every show notes. YouTube or an MP3. Check them out. Highly encourage you to do so. Uh, and then next week, we got a good show coming up on Tuesday. Uh, trying to confirm that guest before I announce it. But uh, on Thursday evening, we're going to have our Christmas slash New Year special, Bring in the New Year, our joint uh, show with Alex Rudd. We're getting our buddy, Mr. Alex Epperson, who uh, is Oklahoma's worst angler, back on here. Oh, uh, no. We're going to bring some buddies back on the show, have some fun, have some drinks. Celebrate 2022, rain in 2023, have a great time. And uh, we encourage you guys to come join us. Maybe we'll try to get some giveaways. Maybe you get some free baits, some gift cards, maybe some swag, some uh, Serious Angler apparel. That is like 99% Ooh. done. We got our final thing ordered today. Uh, we're basically uh, about ready to launch that. We're looking at January 3rd. So it'll be, that'll be our first live show of the year. 
and we'll walk through the website and everything with you guys. So stay tuned. It's, it's coming. We'll have hats, hoodies, long sleeves, koozies, like the whole nine yards. Phone cases cool. even, I think, right? Like some off the wall stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, some bunch of different stuff that you guys take advantage of if you want to, as well as uh, we're going to be doing some pretty cool stuff to give back <laughs> to this industry, as well as the people that support the industry with that apparel. We have some missions behind it. So uh, pretty excited to, to let you guys know about it. Fill you in. Stay tuned as always. And uh, folks, appreciate y'all. We don't hear hear from you if you don't tune into the show on Friday. Hope everyone has a great Christmas, a uh, great New Year, and hopefully we'll see you guys on the coming shows. Without further ado, see y'all on Friday. <laughs>